Today's episode of The Teardown is brought to you by GameTime. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NASCAR tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the race? You can find the answer with GameTime. The ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue can actually save you some serious cash. GameTime is the leader in last-minute tickets. You pick your deal, you see the view from where you're sitting, and you buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have already downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the race. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. everybody welcome back to another edition of the teardown this is the post-race podcast here on the athletic and this is where we will be talking about the talladega playoff race that just took place my name is jeff gluck and i'm along with my co-worker jordan bianchi who is on site at talladega super speedway and uh jordan wow that was a uh, kind of an interesting race there to say the least um certainly an interesting finish interesting day um, two days, I guess, because it was it's Monday spread out uh, over a couple days. How how are you doing? And what was your what was your take on everything that happened there? This is kind of typical Talladega race in general, and certainly typical Talladega race for the playoffs. This is what happens. We we've seen it over and over again, where the this race tends to be very chaotic. You see a lot of crashes. You see a lot of drama. You see a lot of playoff drivers' fortune swings high and low and, and all across the board. And that was, again, the case where Ryan Blaney, by the slimmest of margins, gets a win and finds himself in the next round of the playoffs where if he falls short today, he's in a really bad spot going to the next week's cutoff race at Kansas. So it was dramatic, and you look at the finishing order, you look at the standings, and it sets up for a very interesting Kansas race. Well, I have to uh, quibble with you on one thing, and that is that, like, if I recall, uh, well, last year this time I was – in the hospital with my wife we had just given birth to our first child so i was not paying as close attention to the talladega playoff race last year but i recall that it was somewhat uh more uneventful than people wanted it to be yep um and so i agree with you that in the past uh this is maybe a return to what some of the former talladega race races in the playoff were but um you know, at least quite an improvement from last year where, you know, sort of the, the opposite ends of the spectrum from uneventful to quite eventful. You know what I mean? No, for sure. And like, you know, it was a, t- this is a, you largely, this is what happens at Talladega last year is a little bit of an anomaly, but this is why when people say, you know, there's a little bit of a question, is Talladega fair? Does it belong in the playoffs? I said, yes, this is to me, this is one of the top races on the NASCAR schedule just because of the drama and the fact that a driver, um, you can really have an, a, a say in the outcome here um, where at some of the tracks you don't necessarily always have that say because a lot of it depends on factors like aerodynamics and engineering and all of those other things where here the cars are so equal um, and if you go out there and you want to take it, you, you have an opportunity to do so and we saw that. Wait, so you do think it, you do think it belongs in the playoffs though even though... Yeah. Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I honestly, I like it as an elimination race. I know why they moved what? it uh, a few years ago. Um, I just think the drama that has uh, around the elimination race is, is crazy. I go back to 2014 when Brad Keselowski came into this race, at, which was then the last race in round two, and he willed himself to victory. And I just thought, I still think that is one of the more impressive feats I have seen. I, I like the drama. I, to me, this race always has like a big fight feel to it. 
because you just don't know what's going to happen. And like I said, I think the fact that a driver can control his destiny to some degree, I, I get there's a lot of luck and everything else, but if you are a good restrictor plate driver, you look at the guys who run up front in these races, they do it year after year. That's not luck. This is a skill. Blaney it, you know, may have won for the first time today uh, at Talladega or at Daytona in a points race, but he consistently runs up front in these races. So this is not a surprise on that level, and I think this, rewar- this race rewards those guys. So, yeah, I-, I do like to see it as an elimination. I totally agree, disagree with you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely don't think it should be an elimination. I definitely don't think that it rewards skill. I think it rewards the skill of those who are left, who haven't been taken out by the essential, you know, basically random meteors dropping out of the sky in the form of Brendan Gaughan's car. Um, but like, you know, I, I, I was watching it today thinking, oh, I don't know if this should be in the playoffs. I, I really don't like, uh, I, I don't know if, if it's best for a playoff system, uh, even though, if, even with playoff points to give people a cushion, to have it to a situation where, this is this is how you're determining your championship and who gets through the next round is who dodges these crazy wrecks of not not people's own doing and the only alternative is to run in the back and get lapped and try to get your free pass and get your position back. I mean, I don't know. It's just I agree with the drama and I agree it's very exciting. I thought today was a great race and very exciting. Um, so I don't want to come across that way, but you know, playoff wise to to decide that I, I don't know. It, it either belongs. To me, maybe all in the regular season or uh, as a as an exhibition race. I I don't know. It's just it's hard. It's again, it comes back down to the the eternal NASCAR argument these days of entertainment versus competition. I guess, and it's hard to to sit there and, and watch all these wrecks happen and be like, this is true racing. This is the best way to determine the champion. I I get what you're saying that you know, Blaney. Look, I mean, he's he's been getting better and better at play tracks and. You did have a lot of good plate drivers up there at the end, but some other good ones were, good good ones were taken out. So, ah, uh, I don't know, Jordan. It's no, it, it, no, there's there's no simple answer. I mean, there it is complicated, and there's certainly you can make a case for either side. But I think if you're going to have three plate races during the regular season, I think it's only fair to have one in the playoffs. I don't think it's fair to have just. I think the playoffs should be reflective. The tracks in the playoffs should be reflective of the tracks that are during the regular season. I think NASCAR has done a good job of that starting next year because you're going to have more short tracks with Bristol moving in. You've got a road course now with the Charlotte Roval. You've got uh, you've got intermediate tracks. You've got a super speedway. So I, I think they have done a good job of kind of making the, the playoffs kind of a small sample size of the regular season. And I think you have to have a Talladega or Daytona or however, whatever track you want to do in the playoffs because I think that is reflective. That, that rewards a team who can be good on a variety of different tracks. Well, I didn't mean to go down this road for the first segment of our <laughs> podcast here uh, on, on this, the scheduling debate. But um, – you know, I, I do think that it's worth noting that Ryan Blaney, like, as you mentioned, would not be in good position had he not won this race. So a couple of feet difference, and Ryan Blaney is outside the top eight going into Kansas. Now, he would have only been a few points, you know, I think three or four points, because he, right now he's two points behind eighth in the standings. But whatever, you know, you take from first to second place, so what is that, a couple more points or something, um, you know, I, it, it would have been close, but he, he would have been ninth instead of uh, basically guaranteed his way through already. So that's that's a big difference, and when, especially when you look at the other uh, seven guys who are in it, 
currently. Um, you know, you've got Larson, you've got Keselowski, Logano, you've got the three Gibbs cars, you've got Harvick. It's a, it's a powerhouse group up there. And you're looking now at 300 cars and Boyer being eliminated from the playoffs next week, possibly, because the bubble's pretty big. I mean, Alex Bowman is 18 points out, and he's the closest one. And the, the two guys on the bottom are guys who are good at Kansas. Logano and Keselowski have each won two Kansas races, and Keselowski won there in the spring. So it's not going to be easy for anybody that's outside right now. But this top eight is very, very strong, I feel like, uh, if that turned out to be the final eight. So well, I don't know if anybody's going to be able to get in at Kansas. And so Blaney really did himself a lot of favors today. Yeah, you don't want to be in that spot going into Kansas. There's too many things out of your control. And you don't, you don't got to race your points. You can go there. You can focus on what you need to do and not have to worry about whatever everyone else is doing. And you look at, like you said, you look at the three Hendrick cars. You look at Clint Boyer, who are all below the cutout line. I don't see one of those drivers, maybe Bowman because he finished second in the spring, maybe Chase Elliott because they've had speed on the mile-and-a-half racetracks. Maybe they can go there and get a win, but that's a big, tall task. And to have to be in that position for an organization that has had speed at times this year but has also struggled, I, that's that's a tall task. And I don't know if they're capable of doing that. And I think you look at the final eight the way it is now, all of those drivers have wins. They've all had moments this year where they've looked really good. I know Ryan has hit, kind of had a little bit of a slump towards the end of the regular season, but you go back to the beginning of the year, he was running really well. He probably should have two, three, maybe four wins this year, but they've made a lot of self-inflicted mistakes. They, they had some bad luck as well. Yeah, I, I think the final eight is going to be interesting to see how it plays out, and I think the way it shapes up is, and, and Blaney touched on this in his post-race press conference, if you're a Blaney or a Larson you're going to have to probably win one of these three races in the semifinals to get to Homestead because the the points gap between them and Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. is pretty great, and Kyle Busch, too, to some degree. So, you know, those guys are in pretty good shape. So two of those guys, two of those three of Gibbs guys are probably going to get to Homestead on points for sure. So that doesn't leave a lot of spots left for the other guys. Um, Jordan, the, you know, going into the race today, um, think a lot of the well i guess going into the race sunday and then um as well as monday um you know, there was a lot of talk about the the whole manufacturer alliances thing and it seemed like that was going to be a big story especially after chevrolet had their meeting at sort of the halftime break of this and uh it turned out to not be a big story um because chevrolet kind of took each other out in some ways with uh, a bowman wreck and um byron later uh, being part of another big one. Um, the big ones essentially eliminated any manufacturer alliances, but you know, I, I was kind of okay with what they were doing. I mean, I, I understand from a fan standpoint, it's like the first stage was great. And then Chevrolet comes along and says, let's call all these guys back in and say, no, you need to be in a single file line. But to me, it was more about like them reacting to other manufacturers and what happened in the Daytona 500 and things like that. Um, and, and wanting to make sure that, that they didn't get burned again. I mean, it's not their job to make sure that the racing is good. It's their job to make sure they win races. Um, so I don't know. What, what was your take on the whole Chevrolet thing? I have no problem with it. I, I applaud what they do. Their job is to go out there and win races and do whatever they can to find an advantage. And if you look at the this year's Daytona 500, um, the Chevrolet's top team, Hendrick Motorsports, thought it was more advantageous to run with Toyotas than run with other Chevrolets because Chevrolet didn't really have a plan. 
And that was irritating for Chevrolet. They, they The executives were mad. They were angry, and they vowed that that wasn't going to happen again. So they came up with a plan of their own. They executed it at Talladega. Chase Elliott won the race. They had a, they were executing the same plan at Daytona in July. They had a good shot to win that race before the rain came in and washed everything out. And today, going into this weekend, they had the same plan, and it looked like it was going to do well. I don't. I understand why fans may be upset and everything and have questions, but this is part of NASCAR. This has been a part of NASCAR for years, for 40-plus years. You go back to the 60s and the 70s when there were so many manufacturers in NASCAR, there were strict orders that you were only going to run with fellow you know, uh, factory cars. That was it. And I don't understand the issue that people have with this. If you want to quibble, I mean, Chevrolet probably should not have been so public about it. I think that's where a lot of people take exception is that, you know, and basically, you know, uh, this is like a halftime hockey or a break in a hockey game where the Chevrolet drivers are going into a room and they're getting lectured about what they need to do. Yeah, I mean, maybe they could have done it a little bit more privately. They could have done it, you know, away from the cameras and then people wouldn't have been so uh, um, attuned to what was going on. But if you don't think that Toyota and Ford are doing this, you're wrong. They did it as well. I know what Denny Hamlin said before the race about there's no team owners with on our camp. But the fact is, is that Joe Gibbs Racing, which has a competition meeting among its drivers, and it is stressed that you know, hey, we need to come up with a plan here and kind of work together. Now maybe they don't go. They don't go to the extremes of Chevrolet is doing. And I had a Ford crew chief this morning tell me, yeah, we, we do some things on our side that uh, try to ensure that we all run together and work together. It's not to the level that Chevrolet is doing it, but we do the same thing. And I had someone else with a Toyota team tell me that, hey, you know what? Good for them. They're doing what they need to do. We're doing what we need to do. And that's how it should be. So I'm fine with it. I, I like it. I think it it's kind of neat because I like rivalries. I kind of like the passion and the intensity from each side saying hey what can we do to figure out how to beat the our competitors and i you know it didn't manifest itself today on the track not really because like we said we we saw a lot of people get wiped out in crashes and everything but at the end of the day i i think it's i think it's good i think that intensity and that rivalry and you know manufacturer pride is what nascar's kind of built on yeah i mean it it was it was fine for a while um i if it had turned out that way that you know if there had been a situation where you're coming to the finish and it's a top nine of uh, Chevrolets or something or Fords all running one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and they're all single file and nobody tries to go for the win or something. Okay. You know, I would have been definitely singing a different tune there. But um, I, I think that as you mentioned, the big mistake here was a PR gaffe of, Hey, mm-hmm. let's go have our meeting. Um, by a bunch of cameras and reporters like Jordan Bianchi f- filming us with his phone going into this room here. If they had done it in the uh, in the motorhome lot or somewhere a little bit more covert, that would probably have been more, uh, it, you know, nobody would have known about it. You're not standing in the motorhome lot watching them. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I think that was, that was their big mistake, as you mentioned. But um, it turned out it didn't really matter so much anyway. Um, because really the the running order was Ford, Ford, Toyota, Ford, Ford, Chevrolet, Ford, Chevrolet, Ford, Chevrolet, Ford, Chevrolet. So it wasn't really, uh, and and of course, you know, most of those cars were cars that ran at the back most of the day and ended up moving up. I mean, you have Corey LaJoy finished seventh, um, Ty Dillon finished 10th, Ross Chastain finished 12th, Matt Tiff 13th, Landon Castle 14th, Parker Kligerman headfirst into the wall finishes 15th. So really didn't have uh, sort of the intended outcome, I don't think, on the race. But 
Um, let's talk about the finish of the race. I know there's, we're just sort of jumping all over here, but I personally am not sure that I agree with how it was officiated. And uh, I think this yellow, double yellow line penalty or the the rule, I mean, uh, has got to go. I think this is this is the this is this is it. I mean, it's just here we have a situation this weekend where Johnny Sauter, uh and I praise NASCAR for this on on Saturday after the truck race. He blatantly forced a guy below the L line to win the truck race, so he is penalized and he ends up finishing 14th. That was the spirit of the rule that they intended to put in. So Ryan Blaney, he's racing hard with Ryan Newman. Um, he maybe is trying to side draft him or something or whatever. Some sort of contact happens. That's a judgment call whose fault it was or who, who initiated the contact, what happened there. But Blaney goes to the left to avoid it, goes below the L, double L line in the process. And he definitely goes and improves his position, in my opinion, um, while down there but where you're not supposed to be. Now, the rule in the driver's meeting is if you go below the double yellow line to improve your position you will be black flagged if you force another driver below the double yellow line you may be black flagged so ryan newman does not get back black flagged and nascar uh ruled also that ryan blaney was forced down there so he didn't get uh black flagged so this is a rule where they try to have it both ways and this keeps coming up at least twice a year uh out of these four restrictor plate race or not plate race i guess anymore but super speedway weekends it's always a controversy i say just get rid of the double yellow line rule for the last lap only and take away all this controversy and just have a focus on these great finishes that was you know like the one today was very exciting we wouldn't have to be talking about this what say you jordan bianchi i 100 percent agree i think i've said i've said this before in this podcast the, the fewer balls and strikes calls that you force NASCAR to make, the better off you are. Uh, inconsistency when it comes to officiating is part of sports. I get that. But this is just something that doesn't really have a purpose. Now, the counter argument is this is going to prevent drivers from taking chances and going to prevent big wrecks. Well, guess what? This whole race was filled with big wrecks. So yellow double yellow line rule or not, there's still going to be wrecks. And I think it, it dis incentivizes drivers from being aggressive. And the last lap, you want Ryan Blaney to go for that pass. You want him to have a run and to say, hey, I've got an opportunity here. I'm going to stuff my car in this spot. I'm either going to be a hero or zero. I'm either going to win this race or I'm not going to win this race and I might end up crashing. And he even said post-race, he didn't care. He wants to win this race. He's going to go for it. You want that. You want this to be playoff drama and you want to reward drivers who are willing to go for it and sacrifice. And by having this rule... It just brings all sorts of controversy. It puts NASCAR in a bad spot. And, and if I was them, I, I wouldn't want to be put in this spot. Get rid of it. Don't have to worry about it. If someone does something reckless or dangerous, you can penalize them because you, you know, this is NASCAR and you can still do that. So I, I don't understand this argument. You know, there's drivers were asked about it throughout the weekend. They seem to be confused about it just as much as we are. They didn't really understand the need for it as well. So... It, this does seem to be something that there's momentum building for this to change. You you hope that's the case, but um, it, you know until it does, I think this is going to be something we continue to talk about. And if Blaney would have won that race today, and they would have taken that away from him, you don't want that because then the story is NASCAR took the race away race away from a driver who was very aggressive and went out there and earned himself a spot in the semifinals. You don't want to deal with that. You don't want to deal with the ramifications of that. 
and you shouldn't have to be put in that spot. So get rid of it. It, it doesn't serve a purpose. But at this, by the same token, if that's the rule, then it doesn't matter the circumstances or the storyline or the driver. Yeah. You have to enforce the rule. That's why I was praising them for the solder thing on Saturdays because they said, hey, look, a guy just run the, won the race, but we're not going to give him the win because he did not follow the rules. The rule is if you go below the line to improve your position. They don't say, oh, it's okay if you were forced. They don't say that in the driver's meeting. Like mm -hmm. they, they don't say except if you were forced, it's okay. Like if you go below the yellow line to improve your position, you will be black flagged. If that driver today was Kyle Busch, I think that there would be a huge outcry from fans. Why didn't you penalize him? How can you let him get away with this? He cheated. He did this. Since it was Ryan Blaney, who's one of probably the three most popular drivers in NASCAR right now, it was a feel-good story. Of course, everybody on Twitter is destroying me for even suggesting that he went below W line. You're an idiot, Jeff. Can't you see that he was forced down there? Blah, blah, blah. I don't think that they, people are seeing it through an objective view um, because I think that this, this rule is put in place and is enforced all over the map inconsistently. So as you mentioned, when you have an inc inconsistent rule like this, it's time for it to go. But that's just my yeah. take. No, and I don't think you're wrong. I, I, and I think Sauter's infraction on Saturday was egregious. There's no one who will, I don't think will say otherwise. I think today there is enough gray area, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but there is enough gray area for interpretation, and I think that's the wiggle room where you can kind of make a case for either side. And that's, that's the only difference I see. That's fine, Which, but if you're going to do that, then I want to see the perpetrator um, black flagged for forcing. If you say... This guy went down here because he was forced. That means yep. someone forced him. So you penalize that person. You can't have it both ways. You just can't. No, I agree. Because if you are forcing someone below the yellow line and putting them in a safety risk, you're still going to have those crashes you're trying to avoid. So I agree. I, again, this is, I, mean, I think we, you know, this line just this doesn't serve a purpose. What good is this doing? Well, I could see how it serves a purpose. Um, at other points in the race, because if you have the entire race where, you know, on restarts and going down the backstretch and people are all over the backstretch going all over the place, I mean, you know, 10 wide or something, whatever. And you know, that that's, that can really be a dangerous situation for a track where cars can get airborne. You're having everybody trying to merge back up. And I get that. I, I understand why you want to try to keep people sort of inbounds up on the track during the race, but the last lap, um, often where passes, you know, you're not going to have guys lift anyway, like you said. So just let them do what they want. Let them race it out and let them decide it rather than officials. But anyway, well, what else, what else, uh, from this race, um, jumped out at you? I know we had, you know, a couple big crashes. Um, what, what else is on your mind from this race? What a swing for Hendrick Motorsports. They qualify one, two, three, four. They look really strong for most of this race. Then Jimmy Johnson and Alex Bowman get knocked out in the same wreck. Chase Elliott gets caught up in that as well, and it you know he's kind of in a points hole still, and he you know it looked like he had a shot to win. He I know he still rallied back, and, and I think he finished in the top ten. Yeah, he finished eighth. So uh, just a crushing day for them, and it looks like William Byron's going to have a really good chance to maybe get a win, his first career win. Uh, if not, he's certainly in a good spot to pick up a bunch of points and, and put himself in a good spot to advance to the semifinals. And he gets caught up in a wreck. And instead of having 
three drivers with a realistic chance to move on in the playoffs. Hendrick's three drivers right now are all on the wrong side of the cutoff, and they are in a points hole at Kansas where we talked about it earlier. They're going to need to do very well either in, the, in the stages and get good a finish at the end, or they're going to have to go win. Otherwise, they're out. I, I'm, I'm kind of baffled that Chase Elliott's not in a worse position. I mean, do, when he gets in wrecks, does his car just not break at all? I mean, ha- first there was the <laughs> Roval where he crashed and still won the race anyway. And then today you're like looking at him, you know, his car is in the big one. It's getting, to- you know, hit multiple times and messed up. And you're like, well, he's done. And then he, like you said, he finishes uh, in eighth. And you're just like, well, how does this happen? This is amazing that this guy is able to avoid the crash damage like he is that takes him out where other people, I mean, it seems like they get one hit and they're done, but good for them, I guess, you know? Yeah. I mean, figure it out. It's like the Wiley coyote. He just keeps getting battered <laughs> and ban- rammed and everything. And then he comes back and still gets a good finish. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a testament to him. It's a testament to that team that they, they, they have this perseverance that they can, you know, overcome these things, but um, they're, they, they, but the points hit they, they suffered at Dover is still is, is significant, and it's going to put them it's, it's put them in a bad spot at Kansas. And to me, that's stunning because when Chase won at Charlotte, I think we were both in agreement that this looked like he was kind of building for something special, at, you know, a deep playoff run. And all of a sudden, it, it's gone wrong. Yeah, I, and I don't think that um, I, I think Chase is not going to make it because I, I don't see them winning Kansas. Um, and I don't see Logano and Kozlowski screwing up enough to suddenly fall off the map at Kansas either uh, to let somebody mm-hmm. else in a, in a points battle. So I think that the standings will probably stay the same. But, um, you know, I am a little bit thinking that the, the Penske cars have been shaky lately still. But, you know, they're still going to make it the final eight. So I would still think that they're going to at least one of them be in the final four. So I don't know. But. Let's uh, let's talk about the was it a good race poll. I know some people were stuck at work uh, for the Monday and didn't get to see stage two and three of this race. But um, Jordan, what what I think I got I finally beat you in the was it a good race poll last week. So I have a one race win streak. Thank you for letting me win that. You're um, welcome. Yes. So uh, I'll, I guess I'll go back to letting you go first um, since the. Let's say the loser goes first. How about that? And, sure. Uh, a popular winner in Ryan, oh, popular winner in Ryan Blaney. Uh, a exciting finish, dramatic finish. Uh, it had all the elements of Talladega that people typically like. Uh, that a fact that a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of people didn't see it might damper it a little bit. But I'll say let's go. I don't know, eighty-seven sounds good. Oh wow, that's high. That's pretty it's high. How was that high? This, I mean, people are. This was a good, entertaining race. Good finish. All the you know, drama. Why? Why would people not think highly of this race? No, I, I definitely think that it will be. I was gonna say, I was gonna say somewhat like low eighties, maybe. Um, I think some people kind of get mad at the, um, like the first Howdegger race earlier this year got ninety percent. Um, hmm. The, the Stenhouse race uh, of 2017 got 88%. So there's been some high Talladega races, but some other Talladega races, people get mad. Um, they don't, I think that are the ones that are wreck fest and stuff, even Daytona, people kind of, kind of like, this is not real racing. And they get, they get upset about it. And I, I don't blame them sometimes. So I think it'll be closer to 80 than 90. So I think I might say 83%. You think that's fair? 
That sounds good to me. I, I think it's going to be somewhere in the 80s. I'm, I'm very, I'm strongly convinced of that. I do think it'll be in the 80s as well. I think it'll just be low 80s rather than high 80s. Um, but 87% for you, 83% for me. Jordan, any final thoughts? I will be in Kansas next week. I know you'll be itching to get back to the track the following week at Martinsville. Uh, any final thought, thoughts on your race weekend out there? Um, I think it was entertaining, and I think it sets up for an interesting Kansas. Like you, I don't think there's going to be much change in the standings. I think the biggest thing is is if a Keselowski or a Logano have issues you know, mechanically or they crash early, then that opens the door for one of those four drivers below the cutoff to, to make a move in. But Keselowski won at Kansas in the spring. Kes, uh, Logano's been strong on mile-and-a-half racetracks this year. He was really strong at Vegas a few weeks ago. So I just think if they're going to go there and they do their thing, I don't think there's going to be any change in the standings. Yep, I'm with you. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening as always, and uh, we appreciate you following us on The Athletic as well. Uh, special shout-out to all of our subscribers. We have so much content on there every week. David Smith, even before this race today, our coworker already is posting stuff for, for his regular Monday week. He's like, I don't care if there's a race going on. Uh, I've got to post my Monday stuff, and he posted a great thing about John Hunter Nemechek on there. I know you'll have post-race coverage. I'm about to do my top five. Um, of course, we'll have 12 questions on there. We'll have other features during the week that I know we're working on. And, uh, of course, you can subscribe right now at The Athletic by going to theathletic.com slash green flag, and that gives you 40% off the annual subscription for The Athletic. So that's a pretty good deal, and uh, that is going on right now. So recommend you take advantage of that. And of course you could follow at the athletic auto for the instant. All of our stories come out. You will see it right there on that Twitter feed first, because that's where they're posted first. So again, the athletic.com slash green flag for the 40% off offer. And at the athletic auto is where you follow our stories. Thank you all so much for listening. And we will talk to you next week from Kansas on the teardown.